Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. In John's account of resurrection morning, he talks about how Jesus told Mary Magdalene not to hold him, not to grab him, uh, not to hug him, basically, because he had not yet returned to his Father in heaven. And yet, if you wind the tape backwards to the crucifixion three days earlier, Jesus on the cross told the thief who has been crucified beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. So how does that work? How does that paradox make sense? If on Friday on the cross, Jesus told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And then three days later after his resurrection, he says to Mary Magdalene, I have not yet returned to my Father. How do those two statements from Jesus work together without being contradictory? How can can that work? Well, it does, and there is an answer, and we're going to talk about it in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. Okay, so today we are uh, going to uh, address another issue that sometimes pops up when we're looking at uh, Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Day, uh, as we're beginning to do this deep dive into what happened that day. And last week we dealt with how we brought together the various gospel accounts so there were no contradictions and everything flows together. We can see how all of these stories, told by different people in different ways for different reasons, but they all, they all can make sense uh, and can all flow together in a way that, that works and, and sounds like it should be that way. And so we dealt with that last week. And it was important to deal with that because, as we said, although we as believers don't have a problem with the different accounts in the four Gospels, uh, because we understand that, you know, uh, the most important thing is they all make the same point, and that is Jesus rose and he's not dead and he's alive. Um, But as I think Chuck pointed out, you know, a lot of people use this 
who are unbelievers as reasons not to believe, and that this is all myth, myth, myth and made up and so on and so forth. But it, no, we can show them that this can all work together. So anyway, in the process, and we, we talked briefly about it last week, but I wanted to delve into it more today because this is another thing that people can call you out on as a believer when it comes to Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Day, and uh, you need to be able to defend it and to give them uh, an account that uh, Scripture supports, I think. Even though what we're going to talk about today is somewhat controversial because there are different viewpoints of it, but I think theologically you're on solid ground with what we're going to talk about today. And you can prove that through scripture and through other people who've, who've, who are a lot smarter than me have gone into this. But this, this is, and so here's, here's the thing. Here's what we're going to deal with. So Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the account of John, in John's account. And, he, and uh, Jesus said to her, don't touch me. I have not ascended yet to my father. But he said, tell, go and tell my disciples that I, that I am ascending, and I am going to my father, but I haven't yet, so don't touch me. And then we have in the Matthew account where the women <laughs> grasped him, clasped him, and worshipped him, and he did not rebuke them at all or tell them not to do it. And we said, well, the reason for that is as the way we did the story was Mary was there first, and he, had not, he was in his glorified body but had not ascended yet to heaven. Uh, and by the time that she ran back and the women then had come back and were going back for the second time to the tomb, he then came and met them after having ascended. And so he had ascended to that point, and so that was fine for them to to grasp him and hold him uh, because he had already gone back to heaven at that point and come back again. So we addressed it slightly that way last week. Uh, but there's another issue. Actually, Cheryl brought it up to me a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you know, we probably need to flesh that out a little bit as a class because it can be an important question when you're dealing with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And uh, her question was, you know, how, how do we reconcile the fact that Jesus on the cross said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. But then in John, he's saying to Mary, don't touch me because I haven't ascended to heaven yet. I haven't ascended to my father yet. So how can Jesus say to the thief today, which obviously happened before the resurrection, you know, today on the Good Friday, today you will be with me in paradise. But then on Sunday, he's saying, I haven't ascended yet. How do we how do we reconcile that? And so we need to do that. We need to reconcile that because that is another thing that unbelievers could possibly say to you. You know, then how, how do you explain this? So I put together something here. It's good, better with a handout again, I think, because it's somewhat complicated. So, Joe, if you wouldn't mind just passing those down the row or whatever. Yeah. Handouts are a good thing sometimes. You have a yes, I did. You have one. I think I have one left. Yeah, so I'll give it to you today. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, does it, offhand before we launch into, does anybody, has, has this kind of thing ever bugged anyone before as you thought about the crucifixion, the resurrection? Chuck, you say it has? This was a group of believers. 
right. not unbelievers. That we're right. Not, we were, yeah, trying right. to figure all this right. out. Right. I don't even know if an unbeliever would catch a nirvana. Probably. They always really seem. To... <laughs> digging, but yeah. It always seems that they can find those things that you know. Yeah. You know, if they can, if they can call you up on something, they'll they'll try to do that. But because some, you know. You know, sometimes we just have to have faith. You know, because that's what Paul did. Faith is believing in what you haven't seen. You know, sometimes you just have to take it on faith. But sometimes if you can have an explanation for it, that's that's a good thing too, right? So, yeah. Okay, so um, here it is. So I'll just read through this and we'll kind of go through it together. How could Jesus say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, and then say to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, do not hold me, for I have not yet returned to my father. And then, you know, we could add in there the Matthew, you know, the Matthew account that the women were allowed to touch him. Um, you know, how did all this work together? So here's, here's the explanation of it. When Jesus died on the cross, only his human body ceased to be alive, Right? Jesus himself, his soul, his spirit, was still alive. You know what I'm saying? When we die, our body perishes, but we're still alive. This body is temporary. This is a temporary tent that we dwell in. Our body is not our essence, is not our soul, not our spirit. Same way with Jesus, obviously. So his body ceased to be alive, but uh, his spirit was still alive. He proclaimed from the cross that his spirit was going to go to heaven after his physical death. The last thing he said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? So if he's committing his spirit into the hands of his father, where is his father? In heaven, heaven, right? So he's committing his spirit, not his body, into the hands of his father, his father being in heaven. So he is going to heaven. So he dies, Jesus dies, his body ceases to be alive, his spirit is still alive, and his spirit ascends to heaven, not his body, right? His body is on the cross, but his spirit ascends to heaven to be in the presence of his father. Later that day, the thief also died on the cross. Remember, he died after Jesus, right? Because the soldiers had to break his legs to hasten his death, but they did not need to break Jesus' legs. Jesus was already dead. So Jesus dies. His body is on the cross. His spirit goes to be in heaven uh, with his father as he committed his spirit to his father. And then the thief dies. His body is on the cross, but his spirit goes to heaven where Jesus is with his father. So now you have Jesus and the thief spiritually in heaven in the presence of God. And Jesus has made good on his promise to the thief that today you will be with me in paradise. Now, the only thing that we have to, you have to uh, agree on is that paradise is heaven. And there are some people who will disagree with that. And they'll say paradise was something else, which we'll get into here in a minute. But I think you can overwhelmingly, well, you need a pen or something? No. I think you can overwhelmingly make a case from Scripture that paradise is indeed heaven. So that you have to take uh, as 
that being true. So when Jesus was talking about paradise, he meant heaven. Okay. You don't? Okay. All right. You go ahead. Tell me. Tell me why. Well, because sort of what you're going to say here next. Okay. Shield was the place where the dead went. Right. Until the time because they couldn't be with God. Right. Because they weren't hadn't been glorified yet. Right. And he went into the place of the earth, which was called Sheol. Right. And it had paradise and Hades. Paradise and Hades. Abraham's bosom was in paradise, the air-conditioned side. (laughs) (laughs) And the other side, the, the rich man. Was you know, across the chasm was trying to talk and saying, "Hey, go tell my brothers up there that you know, they don't want to come here." And paradise then left after that. When Jesus rose, it went to be in heaven. Now paradise is in heaven. Well, and and that is the case that some people make, and I think that's you know that's a perfectly valid case to make. I disagree with that. I think that uh, Hades, uh, Sheol, is a place we're going to talk about in a minute. And I think it was divided into two places, mm-hmm. as you said, mm-hmm. and Hades would be one of them, possibly. Called, called. What we're getting into is a lot of, um, uh, you know, name calling, as it were. What is this place called? What is that place called? What is this called? What is that called? And it doesn't change the fact that these things were still true, and they still happen this way. It's just where was paradise? Where was Hades? Where was Sheol? And those. If you read 10 different, 10 different commentaries, you have 10 different opinions. And Chuck and I can disagree on that, but one of us is wrong and one of us is right, but it doesn't really matter, really. Because if you take his, if you take what Chuck just said, that paradise was this, which we're going to get into here in a minute, is this place in Sheol, where there's Hades on one part, which is the place of torments, and paradise is the other part of it, which is the place of comforts, uh, then what you have to say is what Jesus is telling the thief on the cross is that when you die, you're going to go to this paradise in Sheol, not directly to heaven. And then Jesus is going to go there, and he will meet the people who are called the righteous dead in Sheol, paradise, and he will lead them to heaven. So the difference between Chuck's interpretation and my interpretation is that the thief on the cross, spiritually, his spirit went to Sheol, the place of comforts, which some people call paradise, and did not go directly to heaven. I'm saying, I think you can make a case in scripture that paradise was heaven. And the reason I think that, in my scenario, the thief was the first to be resurrected spiritually directly to heaven and not go to Sheol first. And the reason I believe that is because Jesus was the first fruits of the spiritual resurrection. So his spirit, when he died, went to heaven, not to Sheol. But he wasn't resurrected at that point, just three days later. Well, he's bodily resurrection. I'm saying there's two separate resurrections. I'm saying there's a spiritual resurrection because his body is dead but he is alive in his spirit. I'm saying that he said to, in, to on the false on the cross, Father, I commit my spirit that his spirit went to heaven, and because he that, was that would take defining that commit my spirit. That's defining that as going to heaven. Correct. That doesn't say that that he's. That well, you can you again you can interpret differently. Right. This is my interpretation. Right. This is what I think it right. it means. That's why it's controversial. It is controversial right. exactly. 
Uh, but but here, but I'm giving you my, my explanation of how it could work, and, and this is how I interpret it. Uh, and based on, oh, it's not just me, I mean, based on what other people have said too, uh, my research and so forth. So anyway, uh, so Jesus goes to heaven spiritually. He's the first fruits of the spiritual resurrection. And then Paul makes clear, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, that couldn't happen until Jesus was resurrected first. Because Jesus is the first fruits of the rest. That's why these righteous people who died didn't go straight to heaven. They went to this place called Sheol. It was kind of a, a waiting place until Jesus was resurrected spiritually. But once Jesus is resurrected spiritually, which happened before the thief died on the cross, when the thief died on the cross as a believer, Jesus was already, Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection already happened spiritually. There's no reason that the thief had to go to Sheol first because Jesus had already been, he was, he was already there. He'd already been the first fruits. So that death of the, of the thief, he could go directly to heaven and not to Sheol. And that's why I think Jesus was talking about paradise, meaning heaven, and the thief did not have to go to Sheol first. He went directly to heaven. And it's also kind of cool, I think, just like in the, poet, in the poetry of God, that the thief was the only one up to that point that had, as a believer, died by crucifixion, the same death that Jesus died physically. And so the thief, having suffered the same death that Jesus suffered on the cross, was the first to get to go directly to heaven. So I like that poetry, too. So, so just, yeah. I think you to open up another rap Because <laughs> I've never understood the uh, Catholic uh, concept of purgatory. Is that where They're totally wrong. Purgatory is totally. It's totally. That's not this. That's not shield. No, okay. no. Okay. They believe in purgatory. You can still earn your way to heaven. You can earn your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No. A passage in Luke, when you go further, indicates that the two there's, that there are the two separations there because the people that are in Hades are talking to. The people. Right, right. So let's 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 just go on. So we're going to get up to all that. So okay. So this is this is why this is controversial because Chuck brings up. Another point that a lot of people say that's what this means. A lot of other people say that what, I, what I'm saying, what I believe. And so you just have to decide for yourself. And we'll know someday when we get to heaven, but they both still work out in the end. Okay, so we can agree to disagree and still end up with this. And we're all going to end up in the same place. Okay. After the third day. Right, exactly. There you go. Yeah, yeah. These are the so we're so yeah so we're in murky water here because we're dealing with the three days Jesus is in the tomb or not, you know, I mean, these are the three days between his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's murky water, okay? But there are passages we can bring in, and you just have to decide for yourself. But I'm glad, Chuck, I'm really glad you're bringing up the other point, because it's important to flesh it out to hear both sides, you know. Okay, so here we go. All right, so let's go down to, uh, then Jesus, okay, then Jesus in his spirit went to a place known in the Bible as Sheol, which was separated into two parts. There was a place of comfort known as Abraham's bosom, and there was a place of torments known as Hades. Now, some people say that Hades and Sheol are interchangeable. This is another, another you know, conflict here. But in any event, again, it doesn't really matter that much. But some people say Hades was the New Testament word for the place. Some people say Sheol was the Old Testament word for the place. It's the same place, just different names. Uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. It, it, it's fine if you want to go. It doesn't, it's not that important. What's important is that there were two parts of it. There was a place of torments 
and a place of comforts. And uh, some people call it the place of torments Hades. Some people call it the place of comforts Abraham's bosom. And we're going to look at the story now as to why they call it Abraham's bosom. But um, the, 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 the thinking of the time was that this is where Abraham was, and Abraham was the greeter, and Abraham was kind of the leader in this area uh, of, of, the, of, of Sheol. So um, uh, let's do the next paragraph, and then we'll look at it on, in, the, in the scripture. When Old Testament saints and those who lived before Jesus' crucifixion died, if they had faith in the Lord and in his promises to send his son, the Messiah, to earth as Savior and King, their spirits would go to a place of comfort to Abraham's bosom. This is, this is, by the time of Jesus, this, was the, this is what this place was known as. Was They called it Abraham's bosom. They were waiting there for the Messiah to be resurrected first. So a, Jesus had to be resurrected. They could not go straight to heaven until Jesus did. So let's look at Luke 16, because this is a well-known story. But let's look at it in the, uh, in, you know, in the context of what we're talking about here today. So Luke 16. Uh, where are you? Okay. Okay, the rich man and Lazarus, verse, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell or Hades, uh, depending on what your translation says, uh, wh where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So there's fire in this place, a place of torments. They're in torment. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted, a place of comforts, here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torments, a place of torments, a place of comforts. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone will, from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So there you have what we're talking about here. Uh, the rich man dies. He's unrighteous. He goes to the place of torments. The beggar dies. He's a righteous man. He goes to the place of comforts. They can see each other, they know each other, they can talk to each other, but they can't cross from one to the other. And you see the kind of agony and torments the guy is in. in, in, the, in the, and one, one of the traditions they thought of, and I thought this was so cool, is that in the great chasm there was like a river, because the guy says, let him dip his finger in the water. That He's talking about the, in this chasm there's like a river, and he's saying, let him dip his finger in this water and just drip it on my tongue. And the tradition is that when the people in the torments would go to the to the river's edge to get a drink, the river would move. And they could never get their drink. You know? So, yeah, Chuck. Yeah, one important thing is the difference between a parable and a true story. And this is a true account because Lazarus is, they don't use names in parables. But when names are used, 
They're talking about an actual thing that happened. And see, again, if you read five commentaries, they're going to say it's a parable. And you read five commentaries, they're going to say it's real. This is another controversy. But I agree with Chuck. We agree with this with Chuck. That <laughs> this is real. This really happened because Jesus is talking about a real thing. He's Because that's what a parable was anyway. That Jesus would use something real to illustrate something that was supernatural. Something natural to illustrate something that was supernatural. Take something familiar to illustrate something that was unfamiliar. That's what a parable is. So he took a true story to illustrate a spiritual truth in this story. Okay. So, so there we have uh, what Abraham's bosom was about and what um, the place of comforts where he was and the place of torments where the other guy was. Okay, so let's go on to the next one. Remember, Jesus had to be the first fruits of the resurrection. No one could be resurrection brought to heaven until he had done it first. When other Old Testament people died who were unrighteous, who did not have faith in God or in his coming Messiah, their experience was the place of torments or Hades, uh, waiting the final judgment, which is still to come. Okay, so what that means is that if you die today and you're an unbeliever, you go to this place, to this Hades place. Because the people here have not yet been sent to what is going to be called the lake of fire, which is the final place they will go. So if you're talking about the final, final hell, it ain't open for business yet, but it will be. And we'll see that here in a minute. Okay, so that is still, that is still okay. So once Jesus in his post-crucifixion spirit arrived in Sheol, he proclaimed to all there that he had been victorious on the cross, that he had defeated Satan and conquered death and would be the savior for all who would believe in him forever. So, in other words, Jesus preached a sermon about the cross and the resurrection. Well, Greg, where in the world do you get that? Okay, well, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, and start at 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, this is in Sheol, uh, in, in, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patient days of Noah. So this is what Peter is saying, that Jesus, it wasn't, really, it wasn't like preaching like you can become saved, because they're already condemned, but he just went and proclaimed that he had been victorious on the cross, and he was now, uh, you know, the savior of the world. Basically, the, the ransom has been paid. Yes. And then it says somewhere else that he led captivity captive, so he took those people out. Right, we're going to get to that. We're all, we're, that's the good part. We're still to get there yet. All right. Okay, so then Jesus led all... Here, right here, right, right at it, Chuck. Yeah. Then Jesus led... All of those who have been waiting in Abraham's bosom, the place of comfort, to heaven, where they will be with him forever. So let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and uh, verse 8 says, this is why it says, or this is why God says, and this is Psalm, um, Psalm 68, 18 that he's quoting here. Uh, this is Paul's writing. This is why God says, when he ascended on high, this is Jesus, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Talking about Jesus. What does 
he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, in his spirit, went to the shield. He preached that he's won the victory. And then he unlocks the doors and the gates of the comforts area, Abraham's bosom. These are the righteous dead, spiritually. And he leads them all, as they all ascend together to heaven. He is in the lead. They are following him in his train. So he descends to Sheol, opens the gates to Abraham's bosom. All the righteous dead follow him. They ascend to heaven spiritually to be with him and his father in heaven where they are now. So that's... That's, you know, he's the first fruits and he brings the rest of them with him to heaven too. So they can also be there spiritually in their spirits. Okay. Then on the third day after his death, Jesus, at some point, I'm on the third day, let's just, you know, it could have been the second day, I don't know, but on the third day after his death, Jesus returned to the tomb where his old human body was transformed in his new glorified body. His human body ceased to exist. So just like we someday will get glorified bodies, Jesus had a glorified body. A lot of people believe that this is the reason when he appears to his disciples and like to Mary and so forth after his resurrection, they kind of aren't sure that it's him because his glorified body looks somewhat different than his human body did. Uh, or it could have been just they were, they were so upset and they weren't. <laughs> or, or Cheryl's point is they could have, it could have been the same and they were just, they were just too emotional to realize it. No, I want the new body. New body. Oh, you want the new body? Okay, okay. Oh, so you're you're all on board with that? Uh, okay, all right, okay. So so now so now you know it's no longer just Jesus in his spirit. Up to now, it's been Jesus in his spirit doing all of this. But now, when he comes back to appear to Mary, he has a glorified body. Why? Because his old body is gone. So when the old body comes out of the tomb. It's a new glorified body, okay? Just like someday when our bodies come out of the, our tombs, wherever, it, however that is, uh, we'll get new glorified bodies, okay? We'll be in heaven spiritually until we get our new glorified body. So that's exactly what Jesus did. He got his new glorified body. And then the last paragraph on the first page, in his glorified body, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Jesus had not yet ascended in his glorified body to the Father in heaven. So he ascended spiritually at, at the cross, but he has not yet, now he has a glorified body outside the tomb on the third day, and in his glorified body, he hasn't gone to heaven yet. So next page on the back. After meeting with Mary, Jesus did go to heaven in his glorified body to be with his father, in his father's presence. This made him the first fruits of both spiritual resurrection and also the first fruits of the bodily resurrection. Je then Jesus returned to earth and is now ascended glorified body and met the other women who were on their way back to the tomb. We talked about that last week. Since he had now ascended to heaven as glorified body, Jesus allowed his women to clasp his feet. This is the same glorified body in which Jesus appeared later that day to the two who were walking to Emmaus and to the disciples themselves later that evening in the upper room. And all the other appearances of Jesus after his resurrection in the New Testament are in his glorified body, in his glorified body. So... And that glorified body could just 
disappear and go somewhere else, walk through locked doors, all those things that uh, we know that he did in his glorified body. Now, yes. Okay. The time when he says, don't touch me. Okay, so his, we've got his dead body in there, and we've got his glorified body after he returns. Now we've got a third body, which is the, at the time he appears to No, no, no. No, there's only one body. His physical body has been in the tomb, okay? When he comes back to appear to Mary, he is he's in his he gets his glorified body and his his human body no longer exists then, just the glory. Not until he ascended to it's the same body, he just ascended to heaven in that glorified the body. Spirit ascended at the cross. Right, first. Was well, three days later the glorified body. When he ascended in his glorified body. body. He ascends, uh, Later, yeah. but if he ascended later, then how is he back down here? Well, because he can, he can go up and down <laughs> in his glorified body. Heaven is described as being uh, whatever it is, 15 miles uh, square, so people are going to be going up and down. Yeah, there you go. When we get our glorified bodies, we can. And I'm so glad that you think it's <laughs> that's that's another one. That's during the thousand year reign. Yeah. Well, after that, it's a new heaven, new earth, has a fifty yeah. miles high. Yeah. The the, the, the has a once the glorified body, once she's in his glorified body, the human body was gone. You know, just like with us. You know, we won't be in our human bodies. We'll be in a glorified body when that day comes. Yeah. Cheryl. Well, you may want to wait. <laughs> No, go ahead. Um, okay, so how does all this relate to the graves that were opened mm-hmm. during the crucifixion? And the it says they the graves were opened, but then they didn't rise until after no, they because they came back in human bodies. They did not come back in a glorified body. The only all those people who were like Lazarus. He still had a human body when he was resurrected after his death. All those people who came back still had human bodies. They weren't. They have not. They have not gotten their glorified bodies yet, just like any of us. When they died again, their spirits went to heaven and their bodies stayed in the earth. Okay. So yeah. I, yeah, because that's always, that's confusing to so many people. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's when good to talk graves, about it. When the graves were opened, mm-hmm. when he was on the cross. Yeah. And, what did all that mean? And they seemed to know people. They walked around. Yeah. Well, we said, because if you remember on First Fruits, you brought in the first right. of your... So Jesus, he, he didn't deal in, in farming. He dealt in peoples. So his first fruit was to bring people back to life. Right. That's what was his offering was. Yeah. Back yeah. Life. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, got, I got a question yeah. here that is really... When we look at revelations in the second coming of Christ, the dead in Christ will rise when Jesus comes back. Uh, where are they the whole time? In uh, we don't, you know, I've never heard anybody give me an adequate answer on that because when we do a funeral and we talk about uh, a loved one going to heaven, are they really in heaven? Are they still in the grave, or are they going to ascend into heaven? Once Jesus comes back, it really compounds the problem uh, in what we try to say to people. Uh, And that's where people get so mixed up. I mean, as a Christian, I'm mixed up 
And then, you know, for a non-Christian, you don't know what's going on. And so we said, just say they went to heaven. Well, how do we know that? You know, and when I look at Revelations, okay, this is long after Jesus. Right. You know, and if the dead in Christ shall rise. Well, Paul is, Paul is very clear in, uh, in Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians. He says, Second uh, Corinthians one, Second Corinthians five eight says, "To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord." So today, because Jesus has already ascended spiritually and bodily, as a believer today, when you die, your spirit goes immediately to heaven to be in God's presence and in Jesus' presence. Your body decays. Your whether it's in the grave or you're cremated or you die in you know, drowning or whatever you do, your body is gone. Your body is just temporary. Your spirit is forever, okay? So when you die as a Christian, a believer, today, because Jesus has already ascended, you immediately go into heaven in the presence of Christ and the presence of God. Now, in your spirit, spiritually, there will be a time when Jesus comes back that we will come with him from heaven and he will put his foot on the earth in his second coming to establish his millennial kingdom and at that point we will get new glorified bodies and then we will be bodily resurrected as well okay that happens at the rapture it says that he shall come and meet us in the air right when we meet him in the air, we get that new body. Either, that's, that's fine, too. I, either way, whenever it happens, it does happen. Yeah. Whether it's the resurrection or the second coming, whenever it is, uh, when we come back with Jesus, at some, po- at some point, when we come back we with Jesus spiritually, we will get a new body that's a glorified body. So, uh, yeah, so we're on board with that. I can, just, can I just say one thing? Yeah. I think one of the things that we try to do that can be a mistake is we try to... Put God in the confines of that ticking clock up here that he works on the same timeline that we do. And we're trying to figure out how many years until he comes back. And, you know, can't, why can't I go to heaven and be with him? And that's when he comes back, you know, because he's not bound by the physical right. confines and the ticking of a clock that we are. Right, right, right. Right. So, 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 the, so the thing that we can't, the thing that we can't agree on, is that as believers, when you die today, you go immediately into heaven spiritually to be with Jesus and to be with God. At some point, when Jesus comes back, either the rapture or the second coming, whichever you think, and uh, I think I'd like to think the rapture too. Actually, I'd like to, I'd like to get it sooner. Uh, so, uh, so we'll get we. So at that point, we will get glorified bodies too. And so, uh, you know, that works. And so that's kind of the scenario of what it goes. But you still have one question. You still have one question that you don't know that you that you have, but I'm going to give it to you. The one question you still have that we need to answer is, when do the unbelievers leave the place of torments, which we talked about, and go to actual hell, as we say? Because we said hell isn't open yet, or we call it the lake of fire. So turn to Revelation. We're talking about Revelation. Go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, and I'm going to go to verse 10. And it says, verse 10, 2010, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. The beast is the Antichrist, 
The false prophet is a false prophet that kind of tricked people to believe in him. Uh, if you want to look over it just real quickly, look over chapter 19, verse 19. Uh, you can see where this is. It says, 1919 says, Then I saw the beast, which is Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So this happens at the end of the tribulation, where the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. A thousand years later, at the end of the millennial kingdom, this is when chapter 20, verse 10 happens, when the devil is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur too, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown a thousand years earlier. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Now here's the part we're going to answer the question. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white, great white throne and him who was seated on it, who was Jesus. Earth and sky fled away from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books, and whether they believed or The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is where we said before that Jesus went and emptied out the place of comforts and, uh, and ascended, and they ascended with him to heaven. This is where at the end of the millennial kingdom, when Jesus reigns for a thousand years, this is when the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire or eternal hell, and where then the people who are in the place of torments in the Sheol will then also be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity as well. So that's when you know, eternal damnation happens in that place in the lake of fire that was actually made for the devil, but people go there too because they don't believe in Christ. So, All right, so that was complicated and involved, and it is murky because it's stuff that, you know, uh, happened after the cross and before the resurrection, but I felt like we needed to deal with it. And here, and I'm glad Chuck was able to give us give us both sides. Greg, a good point on that. Just yeah. Like what you did with, the, with those different putting all those different ones. Together. Yeah. The Bible is like that. You can't just go to one scripture right. and figure yeah. out what's going on. You got to go all over the place to try to put it all together. And like we did today, you know, we're in Ephesians, we're in Revelation, we're in Matthew, we're so you got to put it all together that way. And that's um, why we love Greg's teaching. Well, the good news is, one day when we're in heaven, he'll give us all those answers, and we'll know. But until then, sometimes you just have to have faith. But sometimes, if you can come up with seeing how the big picture fits, it it makes sense, and then it, it solves a lot of the uh, questions that people have. Right. That's another. I'm going to say to them. Well, see. <laughs> I'm for the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Do we agree on that? Very logical. It has to be before the tribulation begins, because God provided Noah with an ark. He's going to provide us with an ark to get out of the tribulation. Noah got out of the flood. We're going to get out of the tribulation, uh, I believe. This is a great point, because this is one of the first things they teach in law school, that when you're interpreting a document, 
you've got to read what they call the four corners of the document. You have to read the entire document. And that's where we get off in a lot of strange interpretations because you say, oh, look at that. This is what it says here. But you can't just, things that don't seem consistent have to be read in the light of the entire thing. And unless you put the time in like you chuck on, <laughs> you, don't always, you don't always know where all, all the pieces fit. True. They're all, True. They're all in there and you have to read the whole thing as a whole. Absolutely. You can't just proof text it. And that's why I said, you know, in a way that, that we, uh, so this is probably why scripture was put together this way, because it makes us wrestle with it. It makes us deal with it. It's not just spoon-fed to us. And when you really wrestle with it and deal with it, and then you get the revelation of, oh, okay, now I get it. It, it means something more to you than just being told to you, this is the way, you know, when you have to work at it, you, it's like, you know, when, when, when your mom and dad give you money, you know, you go out and spend it on anything. My son, when we give him money, he goes out and spend it on the most frivolous things. Now he's making his own money. He don't spend his money on nothing, you know? Because when you work for it, it means more to you. And I think that's scripture set up that way. what you said is what Peter said. No scripture should be taken separately out of context. Peter told us that. That's exactly what you said. So you're smart, Peter. I grew up in a church. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But when I went to when I went to seminary, I started questioning things. And uh, even to this day, I still question certain things. Sure. Uh, but you know, when I was uh, you know, since coming to this church, I have seen more serious Bible study than I've seen in any other Baptist church. Praise you know, the Lord. I, I mean, I say that. Honestly. In, uh, but when you when you grow up, God said, I believe it, that settles it and it gets pounded into your head and pounded into your head. So that means I shouldn't question anything about the scriptures. I should just accept it just the way it is. And I've learned over time I don't accept it the way it is, and God wants me to question. Yeah, and that's how we wrestle grow, with and it. That's how we grow in our Christian journey, yeah. right? In reaching out to other people, but when we're dealing with people who, at the same time, that they're not even on our page. Yeah, you know, they're really not. You know, and I, there's I have one atheist on on Facebook that constantly begs, uh, is bombarding me, and it's like. God loves you just the way you are. That's all I leave to you. I, I know I know he's not going to be convinced. But that's why I bring into, you know, when we when we were talking about, you know, with Scripture, when you look at Revelations and you look at this and you look at that, and then people who are not coming from that background, are going, you know, that's why they say, I can't believe this. Yeah. You know, in the yep, you have to get the, the whole, the whole, the big picture, the whole right. picture. And so, I've often yeah. said that once you know the author, once you know Jesus, yeah. it starts to make sense yeah. when yes. you look at the whole. Yeah. But up until then, pick little, you open the Bible, and you, I don't understand this. Well, one of the things that you know, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He helps you understand yeah. Scripture. That's one of the roles He plays is helping you to understand that's better. Why so. Every time you read the Bible, you get something else out of it Absolutely. because he meets you where you are at that time. Yes. No question. You prove and reprove the scriptures. And yeah. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're reading it, you're, and you should want more. 
You know what I mean? And that's what I love about this class. You know, we just go deeper and deeper and deeper. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.